Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Stock Talk. This is a little podcast that I've uh, been putting together over the last while where I like to talk about all things investing, where I like to share with you some of my own perspectives and takes and observations about what's going on in the stock market, as well as also sharing with you um, some other perspectives and observations from other people who... I think really know their stuff about investing and know their stuff about the stock market and get their perspectives and kind of offer some takes on on top of that. Finally, one of the things I really wanted to do with this podcast is to share with you some of my own thought processes that I use to make my own investment decisions and to share with you how I go about making these uh, investment decisions. Really, the goal for all of this is just hopefully for you to be able to take some nuggets of information, some ideas, some concepts, and be able to bring it back into helping you frame your own investment decisions so you can ultimately make more successful investment decisions. My name is Amon Reina and uh, I'm an investment coach and founder of Sage Investors. And what I do as an investment coach is I, I try to help people who want to become more financially independent. Problem is, when people want to start getting into investing, um, they feel confused, intimidated, or frustrated by the whole concept of it. They either don't know where to start if they're just getting into investing for the first time, or they've been investing for a long time but just don't seem to be making any traction or any progress with growing their portfolio. So what I do as an investment coach is I try to teach people and I try to engage with people on how to make more make more educated and ultimately more successful investment decisions so that they feel like they can feel like they're achieving a certain level of financial freedom in their lives and hopefully they can achieve it with confidence. So this is episode 107 and today is Investment Decision Day. For those of you, and it's a special actually episode of Investment Decision Day in that I'm going to be, uh, as we're kind of just starting a new year and just finishing an old one, uh, I like to uh, kind of look back a little bit and uh, provide a little bit of a, a, an update and a scorecard of how uh, my investments have done over the past year. One of the things I feel really strongly about with, with what I do as an investment coach and, and my practice uh, where I teach uh, teaching people to invest is to be very transparent and to be very uh, transparent in terms of modeling the behaviors that I try to teach, modeling the techniques, modeling the mechanics of investing that I teach. Um, I really feel strongly that it's one thing to to talk about investing. It's one thing to teach people how to invest. I think it's another thing to 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 walk the talk, to to show your work, to show that you're applying, um, that I'm applying um, the learnings that I'm teaching, and I'm bringing them into my own personal investment decisions. So, what I've been doing for people who are new to my podcast um, and are new to or have been jumped on my web uh, my website sageinvestors.ca, what I do is every month I I post a blog and uh, and I do a podcast where I share with people uh, the various investment decisions that I've made over the previous month and talk about you know how, how I came about getting to the decision to buy this stock or this ETF. Or if I sold a stock, I, sh- I, I kind of walk through in the thought process that I went through to ultimately lead me to to decide to selling a stock. So what I do um, over the course of, over the year is every month I post a, a, a podcast. I've been doing a podcast and at the same time posting a blog, uh, a blog post uh, with my with my investment decisions. And so we're at the end of the year now, and uh, we're just starting a new year. So I thought I'd just uh, what I like to do also is kind of do a wrap up of my 
decisions that I made of the year and to share with you the results, uh, the performance of, uh, of, these, uh, of, the, of all my decisions of, and also my own portfolios that I, that I, that I manage. Um, where to start? One of the things, so let's just start off. Let's just get into this. Um, 2017 was just, you know, when we look back on it, it was just an incredibly insane year. The markets just had just exploded. Um, we were dealing in a world, and it's interesting because we came off 2016, which was a very great year for the markets, but also at the same time, there was so much uh, volatility and uncertainty going on in the markets. Uh, if you remember in 2016, we had the China you know, early in 2016, we had the China stock market just kind of blow up. We had Brexit. We had Trump getting elected and that whole side of it. Um, and then also we've had a lot of interesting uh, business stories. One of the big business stories over the past couple of years has been the whole Amazon thing, um, disrupting the whole um, retail space and all the damage or, you know, you know, depending from, depending from what perspective you look at, the damage or... Uh, growth that's kind of ensued in the or the, the changing transformation of how retail is done. Those have been kind of a lot of big themes and a lot of decisions that I made in 2016 um, really seem to have paid off in 2017 and I'll share that with you um, in that. But there was one element of, of my um, decision making this, pa this past year which did not go well and that was um, keeping deciding to keep my uh, short position. I've been for the last three plus years, I've had a short position on the S&P 500. And basically my logic being is I just feel, I felt, and by also looking at whatever technical indicators are out there, I've just, I've just felt that the whole overall stock market has been overpriced, overvalued, and just ripe for, for a major correction. And, uh, and 2017 obviously didn't, it didn't happen in 2017, but uh, you know, we're dealing with situations where you know, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was setting like record highs, like almost 70, t 70 days, which almost is like, I don't know, a quarter of the time it was setting uh, a record high. Um, it just, you know, every every index, every index on the planet was up, was up um, in 2000, which is unheard of, which I don't think has ever happened. Um, the average return on the uh, global, major global indexes last year was about 28%. Um, it was insane. Everything was everything was awesome, but somehow I had a chunk of my portfolio, uh, chunk of my savings, um, into a short position, um, and it didn't obviously pay out, pay off in that sense, um, because the reality is, uh, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about this, um, but from that perspective, uh, when I looked at when when I share with you my performance and everything, my re results, there is that lag. That lag is that there was was my short position was a bit of a lag on my overall results. Um, so what do I do? How do I do this? So like, let's just go, let me just go strictly to the scoreboard here and just share with you my results. So as in, basically what I do is I have basically five portfolios that I manage. Um, three of them are for my family with our stay within my family and two portfolios that I manage are my, for my kids. Um, I have two portfolios for them for their, uh, their education savings, RESPs, um, for those of you who are not from Canada. Um, it's just a, a, a government-sponsored registered uh, portfolio where you put money into it exclusively for using for your uh, ch children's uh, education later on in life. So I have two portfolios that I, that I do for my kids. So in terms of results, um, 
my first portfolio, portfolio one, I'm gonna label them portfolio one, portfolio port two, portfolio two, portfolio three, and then have my RASP portfolios. I'll talk about those in a sec. So my first portfolio, uh, my return last year was, I was down 12%. And that was compared that to the year before, I was actually up 1.75%. And this is a snapshot as of December 31st, 2017. This is what my portfolios looked like uh, on that date. My second portfolio was up 1.53% compared to the previous year where it was up 2.65%. And my third portfolio was up 7.3% and that was compared to the previous year where I was up 7.92%. Um, my RESP portfolio, my first one, was up 21.1%. And that doesn't include um, this government grant. Uh, the government contributes 20% uh, of your, uh, kicks in 20% of your contribution. Um, as a grant to top up your to top up your contribution on a yearly basis, so the twenty one point one percent that return I generate doesn't include that grant. The year before I was up two point seven percent on that portfolio, and my second RESP portfolio I was down thirteen point eight percent. Again, not including the government grant. Um, the year before I was up twelve point nine nine percent. So the first portfolio, which was down twelve percent. Um, had, that was the portfolio that contains my short position on the S&P 500. So obviously with the S&P 500 setting record highs, the returns on that component were very low. And so it kind of dragged down the performance on that portfolio. Uh, my second portfolio, my, uh, oh yeah, my RESP portfolio, the one that was down 13.8%, um, basically I had one stock in it or two stock, couple of stocks in it. But the one I had that I had a big position on was General Electric and General Electric last year was a company, it was a stock that did not do very well. And so it actually went down almost 20%, uh, over 20%. And so I decided to sell it again, following my investment strategy. I always sell when my stocks go below 20% return. Um, but my other RESP portfolio, which was up 21%, was great because I had some really great companies in there. I had uh, Visa, Walmart, Costco in there, and they did really, really awesome last year. So um, that kind of gave a lot of uh, 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 juice to that portfolio last year. Um, so those are my returns. And so, you know, we talk, you know, in Bay Street, it's all about outperformance, beating the market. Well, I'm not into that beating the market because I think it's really impossible to do. Um, my benchmarks really, if I'm determining whether I'm having a good year or a bad year, are sort of long-term long returns. And so for, for stocks, most of my portfolios are stocks. I don't hold any uh, income components because where I am in my life, um, I'm just more prone to owning stocks um, to for the growth perspective. Um, if you look back historically over 150 years, stocks return on average between six to 8%. So if I'm above, if I'm earning returns above that, I'm having a pretty good year, and if I'm below that, then it's then it's not a pretty good year. So if you looked at some of these returns, down 12%, 1.53%, uh, down 13.8%, those are not great returns. And uh, so I know in that sense, it's kind of disappointing this year to have you know with a great market going on, um, booming, um, to not generate those kinds of returns when I'm looking at these at the aggregate. Um, ultimately also, at least I want it on a, on a typical year, I want to at least be earning and increasing your purchasing power. In other words, earning returns that are greater than inflation. So in some cases, some of these portfolios did do that. In some cases, some of these portfolios did not do that. Overall, I would say this year would be, this past year would be kind of a meh when you're looking at in the aggregate. So not particularly too um, thrilled with the overall performance of my portfolio. So. 
I just actually kind of want to stop here right now because I'm kind of want to give you a chance to get off, <laughs> to get off this podcast because um, at the end of the day, one of the things about investing for a lot of people is a bottom line concept that, you know what, if you're not making money, you're not doing, you're not generating returns, then, you know, what am I talking to? Why am I wasting your time? So, you know, the fact of the matter is I didn't generate really great returns this year uh, or on the overall. So, you know what, if you, uh, and I'm, I'm going to talk about it this and I'm going to talk about some of the, the other things that I have in my portfolio too um, that happened over the course of the year I want to share with you. But I want to kind of, if you're kind of that bottom line person um, who is looking for the goods, then this is probably the best time for you to jump off right now. So I'm actually giving you permission to stop uh, listening to this podcast. You, I'm giving you a job. And actually on my blog post, I actually give you an out to you mean, just stop reading my blog post out there. So if you want to do that, feel free to hit the stop button. Feel free to delete the podcast, feel free to delete all my podcasts if you're subscribing. If I, if you feel that, uh, you know, I'm not really all that or anything. So I'm kind of giving you out right here, right there. And so I'll actually even take like three seconds and just be quiet and then I'll just jump on. But if you're interested in learning a little bit more, because one of the things we have to learn here is, is to, there's, there's lessons here. There's learning things to be gained from these type, from, from this kind of experience. So if you're interested in learning about these things, because I know there's a lot of people out there that are probably feeling the same thing that I've been feeling and, or what I've experienced here and want to figure out how to deal with it. So if you're interested in doing that, then definitely stay on because I've got some um, teaching points here that I definitely want to share. I would definitely want to share with you. And also I have some more further information to give you in terms of my performance and the portfolio performance, a little more granularity in terms of the portfolio. Performance. So I'm going to stop for three seconds and then I'm going to come back on. So. Thanks for listening. If none of this is great for you, it's all good. Okay, we're back. So, um, yeah, so let's take a look at some of the learning. So, you know, overall, performance wasn't great. I didn't really have a great year, but what are the, well, there's, there's definitely some learning points here that have, that have come out of here. And, uh, the first the kind of lesson that I kind of what I think that's important to understand is this whole concept of tinkering. When you're tinkering around or playing around with your investment plan or your investment strategy or your playbook, it can be very toxic. So the fact of my the fact that I've kept on this short position, which is lost way beyond, and the fact that I have an exit strategy where I want to every time my a, a stock or an ETF that I own is goes loses more than twenty percent or more. I get out, no questions asked. But with my short position on the S&P 500, I kept it, I've kept it. Um, I kind of violated my um, playbook. I violated, I violated my strategy. And, and ultimately it's cost me in the sense that I've lost much more money now than, than the 20%. Um, and I'm just going, and so the question you're probably asking myself, I'm asking myself and probably maybe you're asking, so why did you violate your strategy? Why did you tinker with your playbook? Because clearly it's had a negative impact when you look at the overall returns. Um, I think the, my logic so far really with being short is just, it's just, I think there's a factor, an analytical side of me that's just saying that this whole, you know, the markets have been up for like the last eight years. And it's been up because really interest rates have been next to nothing and trying to find yield and trying to find return has been really hard if you go through traditional methods of fixed income or savings. You have to go up the risk profile. You have to buy, people are buying more, much more riskier uh, investments um, 
with no understanding or really no awareness of, of the risk uh, that's available to it. And they're just taking on much, much more risk. And I just think over time, this is not sustainable. And that's the part that just keeps bringing me back to wanting to hold this short position is just the analytics of uh, tell me that, you know what, the, you know, the, the, when you look at indicators like the, the, the price or the Schiller, Case Schiller price earnings uh, growth ratio, peg ratio is like at a level right now. It's over 33. It's at 33. And the last time it's ever been at these levels has been the 87 crash and the 1929 crash. We're at very inflated levels. You know, people are borrowing uh, record amounts to to get into stocks. They're buying on margin. Margin levels are incredibly high. You look at indicators that talk about you know economic growth and stuff like that. It's not great. The economy's growing. It's doing okay, but is it growing at a rate to justify these type of stock prices? And I state at an aggregate, it's really hard to justify these prices. And at some point, I think this is the bigger is the market keeps going up and up and up. Um, I think at some point when the market corrects, it's going to be a very violent correction. And I just wanted to have part of my portfolio to be kind of hedged against or have that insurance against that type of event. And uh, so that's kind of what's kept me to holding the book, to holding the short position. And there's been a times, there's been a lot of days out there where I go, holy crap, you know, maybe I just need to get out of this because it's just not going to work. It's just not going to make sense. It just doesn't make sense. Maybe I and sort of it's just that emotional side of me just keeps saying, you know what, just cut your loss and get the heck out of it. But then I just keep coming back to these analytical side of it. And it's just telling me this is just not going to work. There's just too much stupidity going on out there um, for this to keep going. There's something is going to stop this, whether it's going to be some stupidity from Trump, if it's going to be North Korea, or if there's going to be interest rates going up. The party at some point is going to stop. And I kind of want to have my portfolio positioned for that. So maybe it was just better just being in cash um, completely. But that's kind of what it is. And so the, the learning here is I should have probably, when I was down 20%, I should have sold. And that's what I do when it, that's what I've done with all my other uh, positions when I've been in that situation. But for some reason, I, you know, for these reasons that I've said, it, I just, I decided to hold on to this position longer and I still have that position. I haven't sold any of it. I haven't reduced it. And in fact, I've been adding to it because I just feel really firm in my conviction that this market's going to blow up. So right now it looks like a really bad move and it's been a kind of a bad investment decision that's dragged down a lot of the returns of my overall portfolio as you've seen so that's one thing tinkering just just tinkering or just getting a little bit away from your investment plan or investment strategy um, can be really do a lot of can do some damage to your portfolio in the long run so you have to really it's really important to stay when you've got your investment strategy and you're following an investment plan you're executing that you really stay true to it and try not to deviate from it that's one takeaway I got from, from, from the experience of this year. The second takeaway that I've gotten from, from this year is the fact of the matter is, even though this, port, this short position, I'm down like over 40% on it, I haven't lost any money. I really, I haven't lost any money because I haven't sold it. Once I sell that position, then I've lost money. But until I actually do that, it's a paper loss. And so, you know, I'm down 40% on paper, but reality is until I sell it, until I get out of that short position, I haven't lost anything. And I think one of the things that kind of led me to stay on holding that short position was it was a blog that I read. It was actually Josh Brown's Reform Broker blog. Um, 
and he cited a couple of cases of some really famous money managers and how they manage losses. And so the first one he talked about was Warren Buffett, of all people. You think, Warren Buffett? What do you mean? This is what I'm talking about. He makes money all the time. Well, guess what? Warren Buffett has lost a lot of money on paper. And I'm just going to read to you this kind of post here um, from, from uh, Josh Brown's blog. He talks about Warren Buffett. So, quote, unquote, quote, Warren Buffett was down quite a bit that summer, $6.2 billion. A very large sum of money, wouldn't you say? Now, what, you ask, does it represent? It is also It roughly represents how much Warren Buffett's personal shareholdings in his Berkshire, ha Berkshire Hathaway Incorporated declined in value between July 17th and, July, and August 31st, 1998. And now for the $6 billion question. During those 45 days, how much money did Warren Buffett lose in the stock market? The answer is, of course, that he didn't lose anything. Why? That's simple. He didn't sell. Berkshire Hathaway's shares had dropped in price from roughly $80,000 per share in June to $59,000 a share by the end of September. These exact shares just hit a high of $229,000 this year. Buffett knew that while the price may have changed for his company's shares, the value that his companies were creating would not be permanently impaired. This allowed him to wait the 1998 episode rather than reacting to it. So, and that kind of inspired me because, as, you know, the numbers that I had on my, on my position are really bad. I'm down, but I haven't sold the position. I really haven't lost money. It's a paper loss. It's a huge loss right now on paper, and it's dragging down my other paper returns, but I haven't lost anything. Until I execute a trade where I sell out of that position, I haven't lost any money. And guess what? If the market does crash this year, it might be wishful thinking the way things are going right now, um, those losses could end up being gains. And I might end up getting a, a small gain out of it if I just hold on to it. So, you know, again, this is wishful thinking. I'm sitting here, it's January 2018. Who the hell knows what, what, what could happen? But that's the other thing that kind of take away. You know, until you sell something, and I'm going to talk about when I talk about realized returns, um, that it's... Until you sell something, you haven't lost anything. So that's part of it. So I have a loss on paper, but it's not a loss yet. Um, a third takeaway that I got out of from this year in terms of this whole loss concept of losing money is, and this is something I've talked about in previous podcasts, is that this thing we need to practice a lot more is um, practicing how to lose money, how to manage losses. And again, Josh Brown cites another case study of another famous investor and how they did with losses. And this is one that involves David Tepper. He's a really, really well-known uh, hedge fund manager, runs the Appaloosa uh, Hedge Fund, one of the, considered one of the great brains of investing out there. So, quote, and he's lost money before. And so how does he deal with it? And okay, this is from um, um, the blog. Quote, David Tepper's New York-based Appaloosa Hedge Fund was struggling with the same market environment. He had all the wrong trades and it went against him severely. As Tepper himself related to us at the Stalt conference, it was a painful episode, despite how quickly things turned around for him. Tepper tells us that his fund had been down 20% or more on three different occasions, and this includes the episode in 1998, and where he was blown out because of the Asian contagion and the subsequent Russian currency devaluation. Tepper at that time was heavily exposed to emerging markets in Russia and the combination which crushed the fund. But he made it back, all the way back to Apollos' high water mark within six months. And he did it two more times. Uh, because people, whenever we were down big, 
he knew that it was counterintuitive to actually put more money in. He felt it was a good time to get in. So even though he was losing money, he was put. He used those losses as opportunities to buy more because he believed he had a conviction that the story is going to turn around. So he talks about again getting back to the blog quote. The lesson for 1998 was that the massive market drawdowns were the biggest opportunities if you can stick it out. He and his investors learned to use these episodes to get even more aggressive. It was a tactic he would famously employ 10 years later during an even more post-difficult, even more difficult post-Lehman melt meltdown with Appaloosa down again more than 20% from its watermark. There is an equity risk premium in the markets. Over the long term, stocks can earn an average return that are close to 5% above what they are able to earn from a risk-free rate. That's a huge number when you compound it over decades. But it must be earned the hard way. Battling through the worst of the markets, the worst of the markets can throw at us. And as both Buffett and Tepper can attest, when stocks are treating us at the worst, this premium is often around the corner. Both Warren Buffett and David Tepper know that know that volatility is where returns come from, and losses of today can set yourself up for outsized gains of tomorrow. They have essentially lost money on the way to earning tons of it. And I found when I read this, this kind of was one of the things um, that convinced me to hold on to this short position. And even though it's been incredibly painful, it's the fact of the matter is you have to have convictions and you have to have a plan and a strategy and you have to see it out. And you have to sometimes really bite your bite your lip and kind of hold on to your stomach or fasten yourself, fasten your seatbelts, because the process for you to actually make great returns down the road a lot of times requires a little bit requires some pain and it requires a little bit of roller coaster rides and you just have to kind of ride it through and you just have to have the stomach to ride it through and so when you learn from people like Tepper and Buffett who who are idolized as you know gods of investing um, they've taken their hits you mean we may not read about it on CNBC or hear about it uh, in the news but behind the scenes these guys have taken some a lot of hits to get to where they are. They've taken a lot of they've been battle tested and they've got a lot of scars and a lot of bruises to show for it on their path to becoming the investors that they are. And so I feel like right now and maybe I know I'm not Warren Buffett, I'm not David Tepper, that's for sure. But I feel like you know, I have my conviction about where the the markets are right now and where it's going and I have to write it out. And that's kind of how I feel right now. And this kind of logic that I heard, you know, Josh Brown talks about, kind of plays into the logic that I have right now. In fact, it's to be even more aggressive, and that's what I've been doing. Also, over time, is I've been just as the market's been going down, I've been adding to my short position. So, um, that these are kind of the takeaways for me that have uh, had of uh, really kind of led me to make the decisions I have to especially keep that short position as painful as it has been to my overall portfolio returns. Um, one of the things again, and it's kind of fed into another behavior that I've had with my portfolios this past year is that I've really been carrying a lot of cash. My portfolios again are at about two thirds, I'm at about two thirds cash and the rest of it is just, uh, you know, a third of it is basically equities and part of those equity positions is my short position. And again, it feeds back to my overall pessimism about the overall market. I've been very careful to deploy cash, um, invest and make investment decisions. Um, so far they've paid off, but I mean, when, I, when I'll talk about it. Uh, but yeah, I'm carrying way more cash than I probably would love to. I would like to be more f 
firmly invested, fully invested, but it's just right now, um, I just I just don't like overall what I see out there. And that's my conviction, and that's kind of uh, um, part of my conservative nature in the sense that I don't want to lose a lot of money, so I'd rather just hold on to it. Um, and, I, and I'm trying, and it's hard to, again, because market's setting highs, record highs on a daily basis, you get that FOMO factor. And I bet you there's a lot of people out there who have sat out the market over the last past 10 years and uh, because they got burnt in the 2008 crash and just don't want to go through that experience again. And it's really hard when you see the markets go up day to day, you get that FOMO, fear of missing out. And you just feel like, oh, I have to get back into it. And there is a lot of that going on right now in the market that's driving a lot of these returns. So... And it's, you know, but I've tried to be, I've tried to be resistant to it. And that's a big reason why I've been carrying a lot more cash in my portfolios than, uh, than I would prefer to have. Um, part of it is when the markets do crap out, then I'll be in a position to jump right in and deploy a lot of cash into the market. And so that's probably, that's my logic going into that. Um, so I've talked a lot about a bad stuff, like the short, you know, just short positions really just kind of been overhanging a lot of what I've been doing, but it's, it's kind of unfortunate because it's actually, um, Cast a, uh, cast a shadow or distracted from looking at some really amazing results that I've done. Despite the fact that I feel overall pessimistic about the market, I've still been investing in individual stocks. I've been still best in, been investing in ETFs, selected ETFs out there, um, where I see that there is value, where there is potential for upside. And as I said at the start of my uh, the podcast, you know, a lot of decisions I made in 2016 uh, because of what was going on at that time, investment decisions that I made, um, really bore a lot of fruit in 2017. So actually I want to share with you, in 2017 um, I made about 17 decisions. I made 17 decisions to sell um, stocks or ETFs and out of those 17 decisions that I made, 13 of them were profitable decisions. And if you go to my pod, uh, blog, sageinvestors.ca, I list them all out, um, exactly what the returns were on there so and the reason why I, I, i'm talking about this is it kind of you know i think the whole concept and i'm not trying to make excuses here you know my portfolios weren't doing that great last year and i'm trying to trying to make excuses but i i found that when i dig down a little bit deeper into the performance of my portfolios there's a lot of great stories and a lot of them involved um decisions that i made individual specific investment decisions and th that a lot of them panned out so you know if you're into for me you know, overall portfolio performance is fine. There's snapshots, there's points of time. But to me, what tells me that I'm kind of on the right path, if I'm if I'm going to be on the right path, is are the individual decisions that I'm making in my portfolio actually paying off? And paying off in the sense that I'm buying something and then actually selling it and generating a tangible return. So kind of a metric that I tend to focus a lot more on for in terms of evaluating how I'm doing as an investor is realized returns. The actual return that I generate when I physically sell a stock or physically sell a position. And so ultimately, if I'm doing my job right, if I'm doing well at this whole investing thing, I'm gonna be generating returns that are gonna, I'm gonna be generating realize, higher realized returns. Every investment decision that I'm gonna make is gonna yield a positive outcome. So in this past year, I did 17 of these iterations of buying and selling a stock or an ETF. 13 of them were positive. And they ranged in returns, uh, and these are the companies I, I, I generated. You know, I'm just going to list them out: uh, Twitter, 
uh, 11.7%. Visa, 45.4%. Walmart, 24%. Costco, 24%. Um, Tyson Foods, 6.4%. Um, the iShares ETF, uh, India ETF, I invested in that, it was up 28%. I made 28% return. Nike, 19.7%. Alphabet, Google, 20%. Um, those were great stories. Whole Foods, before they got bought up by Amazon, I made 26.8% on it. Um, the iShares Europe ETF, I, mean, I talked about, this is a port, uh, an ETF that I was buying more of it as Brexit was going on, as the debacle of Brexit was going on. I sold it this past year for a 22.5% return, buying at the low, selling at the high. Calmain Foods, up 16.5%. Those are great stories. So, you know, um, the fact that I was making these type of decisions, that's these are positive decisions. At the same time, I made some bad decisions. Uh, Under Armour, I sold that for a 37% thir uh, loss. It, I was down like 15% and then one day it just blew up and it went down 20% in a day and automatically I sold it. So I lost more than I wanted to lose. New Lion, which is another stock I held, I was down 22%. I sold that. Uh, General Electric, I told that earlier about that. I was down 27%. Uh, I sold that for a 27% loss. Not great. But the, the cool thing is, um, is managing those losses. We talked earlier about how to manage losses. And with my short position, I have not been, I did not execute that properly, but these other times that I've had these lost positions, when they've crossed my threshold, um, I've sold them and I've executed them and they have contributed to, to really a positive outcome from a realized return perspective. So if you looked at my overall realized return for the pat for, for 2017, it was 9.42%. In 2016, it was 19.5%. In 2015, it was 7.7%. In 2014, it was 20.6%. And in 2013, it was 3.92%. This, kind of, this kind of gives me a lot of comfort because it's telling me that, hey, the, the decisions that I've made on every individual stock that I've bought or ETF that I've purchased have been generating positive returns. So overall, from that perspective, I feel like I'm making good investment decisions. I'm walking, I'm going down the right path. I'm going down the path of growing my portfolio. Obviously I've made one decision that has not been a great one, which was the short position, and that's kind of put a leg. So I often, and I didn't, I didn't even calculate it, what my return would have been if I take out that short position. They would probably be even higher. Um, my realized returns would probably be even higher. Actually, they probably wouldn't be because I haven't sold that position, so it wouldn't even factor into any of this stuff. So. Um, so yeah, from that, from my look at, when I look at my performance from a realized return perspective, it's been a good year. I've had a good year in that sense. And so that gives me some confidence. It gives me some hope that I'm, you know what, I'm moving in the right direction. And if I keep doing this, then overall, um, the returns that I'm going to need, I'm going to get there. So that's uh, another side of it. So really take away a lot of it is a lot of decisions that I made, some of the, a lot of these stocks that I sold over the year and then over the past year were stocks that were really out of play. And so I think that was another kind of key takeaway and it's, it goes into my strategy a lot, which is uh, was looking at the psychology of a lot of stock, of, what, of what's behind a lot of stocks. So like companies like uh, Walmart, Costco, they were getting killed during the year because of the whole Amazon threat. And especially after Amazon bought Whole Foods, it got even worse. But that was the time when I started buying a lot of these stocks. And I bought them even earlier in the year. And obviously, it's bare-born fruit. Um, the whole, you know, I talked about the uh, Europe ETF that I owned um, that I started buying after the Brexit vote. 
And since then, it went up. It's been up over 22%. The European market, like every other market on the planet, has surged. And uh, so I had a good return there. And again, um, Tyson Foods, Calmean Foods, egg prices have been depressed over the past year. Uh, meat prices have been depressed. That's when I bought these stocks. And guess what? The market, the, their, their, their pricing has rebounded and uh, the stocks have rebounded. Nike. Nike was out of favor quite, uh, quite a bit earlier in the year. They, they reported a really bad earnings report. The stock got taken down. I went in and bought a Nike, and sure enough, it's rebounded. So a lot of it is, you know, takeaway is, you know, is understanding the psychology of the market and being able to exploit it and taking advantage of, of how people behave um, and feel about different stocks and use that as an advantage. And, and I incorporate more of that now into my strategy on top of the quantitative stuff. Um, that I look at. Um, another area I wanted to share with you were my costs. Um, costs, trying to keep our costs low is kind of one of the key tenets of investing is you want to make investments, but you want to try to control the costs, i.e. the costs, you know, your trading costs, commission costs, paying managers to manage your money, that stuff. The, you know, the goal here is you want to grow your savings, but you want to keep those savings in your pocket. You don't want somebody else to take it from you. So I looked at the, one of the things I do also is I try to calculate on a dollar basis how much do I pay over the year in terms of fees um, and then express it as a percentage of assets. So when I looked at my five portfolios, this is my, what my costs were um, over the past year. Um, so my first portfolio, my cost was 0.61%. And that's my portfolio again of my short position on the S&P, which has a very high cost associated with, so it, it makes sense that this is among my costliest portfolios. Uh, portfolio two, my cost was uh, uh, 0.152%. In the previous year, it was 0.225%. Portfolio three, my costs for the past year were 0.259%, and that's compared to 0.417% in the previous year. Uh, my RESP portfolios, my first one had a cost of 0.593%, and that's compared to 0.372% uh, the previous year. And my second RESP portfolio had a total cost of 0.481% compared to 0.477%. Overall, if you took all my all the portfolios that I managed, my total cost of running these portfolios was 0.368%, which is down uh, compared to 2016, where my total cost was 0.504%. So overall, I'm really happy. My costs are falling, which is great to see. Um, you know, last year was 0.5%, and now it's 0.37%. That's great. Um, so I'm keeping more money, in, what it means is that I'm keeping more money in my pocket and giving less money out to the banks and the industry and the brokers and the advisors and stuff like that. So cost, keeping costs low is, is 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 an important part of investing and so so far uh, in that sense 2017 was a really good year because in fact i lowered my cost base quite a bit so that's pretty great overall in the year actually i counted i made 58 trades i made 58 tr investment transactions over 2017 compared to 2016 where i made 50. so 58 trades looks like a lot might look like a, a lot but it's actually, if you break it down, it's almost like basically one to two trades per month, which is really not a lot. So the fact of the matter, and, that, and, I, and I think that's also goes into factors into why my overall costs have been quite low because I don't, I'm not a trader. I don't day trade. I don't do, I don't make 20 trades a day. I make trades when I'm necessarily, and I usually try to make them um, peri uh, periodically and methodically 
precisely to keep those overall costs low and try to not waste money on transaction fees and brokerage fees and stuff like that. I try to trade more concentrated and over a longer uh, spread out kind of period. Um, that's one of the things to do. So costs can be looked at pretty good. Um, so that's kind of it. And you know, as I said, I'm pretty, uh, overall, when I look at the overall performance, it's not that great. It wasn't that great a year, but you know, I take a lot of solace in the fact that, you know, those individual decisions that I was making throughout the year, a lot of those decisions were ending up to be positive decisions. Um, and so that's good. I'll be honest with you. This was actually, um, this is probably my longest podcast, but I really wanted to talk about this because actually I was having a lot of hesitations to talk about, um, any of this because as I said, I, I, my job here is I, I teach people to invest. Um, I'm an investment coach. I teach people how to make better investment decisions. So kind of going out there and sharing with you a lot of my own bad investment decisions, I was thinking, oh, people will probably say, oh, well, geez, like he doesn't even know what the hell he's doing. He's making bad decisions. Why the heck would I want to listen to learn how to invest from this guy? And that kind of ran through my head a lot when I was putting this together, when I was writing my blog post. Um, but at the end, I decided, you know what? That's not what this is about. Um, I think I wanted to share with people that, you know what, you can be, have an Ivy, uh, Ivy level degree, you could have an MBA, you could have a CFA, you could be Buffett, you could be John Tepper, you're still gonna make bad investment decisions. And a lot of times, everything just doesn't go up in a straight line. Investing is a lot of bumps, and it's a lot of scrapes and bruises and shots to the stomach. And it's part of the gig. It's an occupational hazard. And uh, I think it's, I felt it was important that people, and I think a lot of people are also frustrated with investing. And I just wanted to show them, hey, you know what? It happens to everybody. We all make bad investment decisions. We all are gonna have bad years where our portfolios aren't gonna do great. And it's normal. It's part of the gig. It's part of, the, it's part of this journey that we gotta go on, unfortunately. Um, but it's there and I, I felt it's important to. And another reason why I felt it was important that I be more transparent about this stuff is because you could flick on the news and you could flick on the TV and you could see all these people go on CNBC. You could see all these people write blog posts talking about all the good stuff that they do, but you'll never hear them talk about the bad stuff. And you'll never hear them talk about how they deal with the bad stuff. And so I felt that's really important. And I think that's the value added that I, I hope that you get out of this is that, yeah, you know what? There's gonna be tough days. And you can't get too down on it and you can't question yourself on it and you can't pitch out your investment plan or your strategy of how you do things. You may want to review it, but you don't throw it out and you don't tweak it away from it because it can create more damage to your portfolios. And even though you're going to make bad investment decisions and decisions that may not work out, you got to learn how to manage them. You got to learn how to practice them. And uh, because that's going to help you deal with those things. It's going to help you keep in the long run more money in your pocket. So I know this is kind of a long-winded podcast. I hope uh, people found some value into it, but I felt it's really important for me to share this stuff with you, share the good and also share the bad and just as much share the bad and also share kind of how I feel about it and how I'm trying to deal with it and how I'm working with it. And hopefully you can take some of these learnings, some of these lessons that I've learned from the past over this, this, this particular experience and you can bring it back and hopefully uh, apply it to how you make decisions. As I said, my, po my post is on, you can read my blog post. I go into a lot of detail on this stuff uh, on my website, sageinvestors.ca. Just click on the blog link and you'll be there.
if you have any questions about this, um, any questions about this uh, this episode, feel free to hit me hit me through my email, which is on my uh, website sageinvestors.ca. You can hit me through my Facebook uh, page, which is Sage Investors, or you can hit me through Twitter. I'm on Twitter all the time. My handle is at uh, at Sage Investors. I was going to say at Twitter. No, at Sage Investors. You can find me on Twitter. So thanks a lot for listening in. Um, I hope you've uh, hope you've still got some value out of this. Um, thanks a lot for listening in. This has been another episode of uh, Stock Talk. My name is Amon Reina. Happy New Year and all the best for 2018. And we'll catch you again another time. Take care. Bye-bye.